minimalists. <laughs> Hello, simpletons. We're here with Andrew Bell. What's up, patrons? On the uh, occasion of his new album, Nightshade. We're, we're, Heck yeah. Where'd the title of this album come from? Because I know what nightshades are. Do you? Yeah, yeah, because I can't eat them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So you really identified with... I, don't sure. know if you, I, I did an interview recently where I sort of delved into that a little bit. I even posted about it, you know, on, on Instagram. And, and so I'm cool. You probably identified with that a little bit then. Um, nightshade, I mean, there's a, it's a little bit of like a double entendre. It's like mm. quite literally, you know, um, it was probably eight or nine years ago. My wife and I had heard about this nutritionist in our area who was diagnosing based on your blood type. And we were sort of just feeling tired a lot and just wondering, like, should we be eating different things or what, you know? So we went and saw this this person and, and, um, and my wife, they had, they had told her, listen, like there's a, you know, I don't know if you know what a nightshade is, which I didn't at the time. It's kind of a cool word. word. Um, but basically it's just like uh, potatoes, tomatoes, bell egg pepper, plants. eggplant. Yeah. These things, he, you know, he advised this are not helpful for her uh, digestion and ultimately her, her overall health and that she should avoid them. And mm. immediately you're thinking, you just start thinking of all the things you can't eat now. You right. know, yeah. Pizza, pasta, you know, uh, French fries, you know, potatoes, all these things that you love that are in everything. Um, and uh, we took it under advisement for a bit. And then our life became way too rigid and not fun and mm. not enjoyable anymore because my wife went to culinary school. Food is a huge part of our world. Mm. And ultimately, we just decided, okay, well, how about instead of being so rigid about this, we'll just dial it back. We'll be mindful about it. We're not going to, we won't maybe eat so much pasta anymore, mm. so much tomatoes or whatever. But um, I don't know. It's something about that. I found that concept of um, knowing that something is not necessarily good for you and yet having a hard time walking away from it. Um, it's a really hard thing to do. And so that sort of influenced a lot of the writing, a lot of the songs on this record sort of came out of that. Um, and, you know, so that's sort of like the literal, literal expl explanation of the song title. And then uh, at the same time, like this, this is sort of a heavier album. It's very um, um, moody and very uh, vulnerable and and just the word nightshade just felt like it just captured the mood and in that that image that i selected for the record cover i don't know it just all fit and so i chose it <laughs> yeah it's beautiful the uh, i noticed that i mean like we said on the minimal this is really a a an album album yeah and yeah. so like there are echoes on different songs you know like you have a song called spectrum but the song before it has the word spectrum yeah. in it right there's a couple lines that you use like there's the use the word shorthand which is the name of the instrumental track that yeah. you have it's yeah. on a different song it might be on nightshade as well mm -hmm. there's this line that occurs twice um we talk about uh getting the last laugh last laugh mm. is is this line um what about there's something about the last laugh as, as as in like it's almost like i need to get in the last word mm. I, I need to um i need to be right um that that i, I there's something i sensed out of that um anyway i want to go through some of these lyrics here uh, on the album not to get you to explain them because that would ruin the uh, the 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 music when the yeah, artist explains you don't want to it see behind the curtain no, <laughs> no 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 but i i'm going to uh, uh talk with ryan about it in front of you yeah. oh great yeah. uh, <laughs> sounds good and we can interpret it however we want but i think that's the beauty of of your music in particular cool. is it's ethereal and and it creates um it creates a mood and you kind of get to determine what it's about. It's almost like a Terrence Malick film in a way mm. where it's not about anything, mm. but it's about everything. Mm. Oh man. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, that's that's high praise in my. Your first single was a, a song called uh, "My Poor Heart," and uh, it starts out with the lines, "I don't like this spot. Let's talk like we're friends." Mm-hmm. There's someone you love there. I think about this. My wife and I have some sort of tension, right? Mm. I love you, but at the moment, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Let's talk like we're friends, though. Let's talk like I like you, because in this moment, yeah, I love you. Yeah, it's almost like you can use that to like interrupt the the pattern of you know getting into. Um, I don't know when things start to escalate in any relationship. It's like you can remind yourself, like, all right. I don't like where we're at right now, but I really do. Yeah, I do love you. Maybe help change perspective and de-escalate, perhaps. Yeah, because mm. the opposite is what it, it's. Um, I'm going to continue to escalate. I'm yeah. going to get the last laugh. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so there was something about this, but this is also this song made sense as a, as a lead single as well. I mm. thought it, it it served very well, and it's sequenced perfectly like right there, the second track on the album. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. No, yeah. I mean, you're. Your thought about that line is pretty accurate. I've been married for just over nine years now, you know, mm. and a uh, couple kids, two children. Yeah, I have a daughter and a son. And, uh, you know, in so many ways, life is is incredible. And um, I'm, I love my wife very much. We have a very healthy marriage. But, you know, like you're with somebody for that long. We, we were together for three or four years before getting married. Mm-hmm. You know, so it it's just something that like, unfortunately, when you spend so much time with somebody, you start to like forget what that original spark was sometimes you know yeah. you forget that like your your marriage or your, the romantic aspect of your relationship formed out of just like an initial friendship yeah and um the way that you talk to each other was different in those mm. early days i think about that a lot you know the way that you know um i was probably a lot less moody when we were dating <laughs> than i am now you know and and uh so yeah, that's that's kind of where that line came from, mm. for sure. That moodiness can shape a relationship and not necessarily in a way you want it to be shaped mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. There's another line in that song. You're talking when you're not. Oh, mm. yeah. So like our friend Rob Bell says, um, you're always teaching your kids and sometimes it's with words. Mm-hmm. But isn't that true with any relationship that we're in? A friendship, a romant- romantic relationship, like I'm saying everything, even when I'm saying nothing, or maybe even especially when I'm saying nothing, because that line's followed up with uh, "Our enemy is brevity," <laughs> which is, I'm, you know, mm. obviously brevity is the soul of wit. And as a writer, like I want things to be brief, but when you talk about things being too concise, or you're being short with me. Yeah, you're saying a whole lot in that shortness. You're saying a whole lot in what you're not saying. Mm. And yeah. I should have you just come out and explain uh, my records. <laughs> <laughs> You're much more eloquent than I am. <laughs> Isn't there a statistic that talks about, like, yeah, 80% of communication is nonverbal or something? I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but I know it's a lot higher than I would yeah. assume. But, yeah, it's and sometimes, like, I, me just crossing my arms right here, it's like I got to remind myself, like, <laughs> oh, that is, I, I, that's like me building a wall, yeah. Uh, yeah, with the nonverbal communication, but it's really just because my hands are kind of cold and I'm doing that. <laughs> Yeah, you're yeah. making a statement with right. like your body language <laughs> right. unintentionally. Yeah, absolutely. And it's easy to misinterpret that, right? And so I think when we're when we're saying things that aren't being said, or they're being said through body language or through a intentional silence, you're icing someone out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what that's doing is it's creating a mountain out of a molehill. Like this problem, all of a sudden, are you okay? I'm fine. Yeah. 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 Too close to home there. (laughs) (laughs) I do that a lot. Uh, Moving on to the record, 
you got a song on here called Spectrum. Yeah. And um, it's one of your singles. And, and again, a great opening line. You wanted a love state. And uh, yeah, what's funny is like, I think about all the times I went searching for love. Mm. I mm. never found it. Mm. Like, that's not how love works. Mm. To love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. Mm. But whenever we go out and try to fix someone, acquire love, man, it's like trying to, well, it's like trying to capture an ocean wave in a bucket, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. Spectrum is such a great song. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you go on to say, I don't even know what this means. <laughs> and I'm burning up in stereo. And I don't want to know what it means because here's the thing. <laughs> there are parts, when I, when I put on a Andrew Bell album or something from Tom York, let's say, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what Tom York means when he says, I woke up this morning sucking a lemon, right? <laughs> and he repeats it four times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it means, but I just know it's true. <laughs> and I feel that about this album. Like, I don't always know what you're saying, but yeah. there's so much truth in whatever that is. Yeah. So I love that you referenced Tom York, too, because I, I derive so much inspiration from that ambiguity that he just spews. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much raw... Uh, maybe that's where I kind of like get my moodiness from, you know, musically uh, is from him. But yeah, that, I, I, when I'm writing, I, I sometimes am imagining like, what would, what would Tom York say in this situation, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, it's awesome that you connected those dots. I mean, I'm oh. burning up in stereo. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I know. It's great. Thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you. You got a song called, um, uh, I'm so excited for you. Mm-hmm. And um, it starts out with some real tension. Don't make me leave. Don't make me leave like this without an ex, without excuse from the table. So, like, what an eloquent way to say, like, hey, we're there's some tension between us right now, mm-hmm. and I don't want to just get up and walk away and escalate things, mm-hmm. right? Um, let's uh, let's get to a a detente. Let's get to this place where where we um, well where I don't have to leave like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that line actually don't make me leave like this. I actually got, I was watching, there's this movie called interstellar that came out, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. You remember? Yeah. This yeah. Oh yeah. Good yeah. I'm obsessed with that movie and I'm obsessed with anything sort of like, uh, sci-fi slash existential, like th- that yeah. sort of genre. Yeah. Just captures me. And there's this line, you know, Matthew McConaughey is like leaving his family, he's leaving earth to go out to space, to like save the world. And his daughter's furious with him that he's leaving and she's never going to see him again. And he says, like, don't make me leave like this. And there was something about that that just, like, I, you know, turned me into a puddle as I was watching that mm-hmm. scene. And I wrote that line down. And then years later, you know, put it into a song. Wow. But yeah. And, and the, I mean, the, the title of the song, which is also a line in the song, mm-hmm. I'm so excited for you. There can be a sort of passive aggressive. I mean, that line can be used on social media. I see people do it all the time. Oh, I'm so excited for you. It's almost like a faux excitement. Right. Yeah. But yeah. then it can also be like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. This this song is sort of like, this was, um, it's kind of, it's a relationship, a relationship song where like, um, it's sort of like the beginning of, of the end kind of thing. I'm describing the beginning of the end of a relationship and maybe, only one person in that relationship has begun to sense that. 
And that's kind of the perspective I was writing from. Wow. Maybe Mm. I might have some personal experience in in (laughs) that from years, years and years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a sort of, I mean, if I take it at face value though, it is possible to still be excited for someone Mm -hmm. genuinely, like through empathy, right? Sure. Empathize, even though like, Hey, there's a different path here. I can be excited that you're going down a different path. I Mm -hmm. could feel great about whatever you're whatever is ahead for you yeah Yeah, there's some there's a bittersweet um bittersweetness about that yeah Mm. we um we have a song here called inside voices and at the moment it might be my favorite song on the album Uh, i think i think that changes this is really yeah this is my by far my my i'm most proud of this song for sure wow yeah it's the very beginning you talk about you know putting off your phone right (laughs) silencing the distractions that disturb the peace yeah and um, I don't know, there's something about that. I, I figure, especially since today we're talking about silence and calm and, and um, inside voices. Where, where does, um, where does that, that phrase come from for you? Um, gosh. Oh, well, I mean, I think we all can identify with sort of this like internal inner dialogue, you know, that yeah. we pay attention to all day, every day. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a season in my life, um, I, where I, I've been in like, counseling and therapy and stuff. So there's a lot of, you delve into a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff when you're in, in counseling, like the stories that you tell yourself and that, that you ultimately, uh, view yourself through. Um, but yeah, this song in this, in this record even kind of touches on a lot of aspects about mental health and especially, um, I think that was especially um, relevant in the last couple of years that we've, you know, we've all been going through with COVID and everything and everybody just being totally thrown for a loop and being at home and everyone's life being turned upside down. And mm-hmm. um, so this song, yeah, it just talks, it, it's, it's, it's actually sort of like, if you read lyrically, it doesn't really make sense um, because there's sort of like, there's almost like two perspectives talking to each other back and forth in this. And mm-hmm. that's actually, I found that to be a pretty accurate description of someone who's struggling with, inner voices and and maybe not literal you know but like just that internal dialogue that you're kind of wrestling with inside yourself um there's a confidence and a self-doubt that can happen simultaneously they're talking to each other and and contradicting one another and yeah so when i read these lyrics it sounds instead of just it being from one person's perspective it sounds like there's two but they're they're weaving in and out of one another and i found that to be a pretty interesting description of 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 what it's like to be struggling with mental health so. Yeah, it's funny when I hear inside voices, I like get my childhood memories triggered because I have such a loud voice that <laughs> <laughs> my mom or my aunt or my grandma, specifically those three ladies in my life, were always like, Ryan, use your inside voice, inside you're voice. too loud. Yeah. <laughs> I love the double entendre yeah, here, right? Yeah, right? Because, hey, it's what, where is it most loud? It's the inside voice, the voice inside me, yeah. the voice in my head, my own thoughts, my ruminations, yeah. my beliefs and opinions that clutter my mind. But then also, hey, if it's so loud, chaotic outside, like we yearn for, hey, we just need to be a little bit more quiet. Let's mm-hmm. use our inside voices. Mm-hmm. But we don't actually want to use our inside voices because <laughs> that would be the loudest, the most chaotic. Mm-hmm. If I could project what's going on in here, out here, everyone would run away. Yeah. 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 Uh, somebody told me recently, um, he was saying like, if I listen, like if I could, um, this internal dialogue that we all have, um, 
if you really paid attention to that, or if that was like a, an actual person who was just following you around, saying these things to you all day, you you would never want to hang out with that person. Ooh, you know, yeah. like, um, yeah, I think there's something to pay attention to. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think there. Yeah, there's something about. Um, actually, there's that Matt Matt Nathanson line. Um, what do you say? I'd kill anyone who treats you as poorly as you do. Mm. And like, ouch. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, because I. Who treats me more poorly than me, right? right? Yeah. Because I don't tolerate it from anyone else, but right. yeah. I tolerate it from that inside voice. Right. Exactly. Mm. Well, you got shorthand in the middle of the record. I think it's track six. Yeah. And um, yeah, a beautiful little vacation right there in the middle <laughs> of the record. Yeah. My friends have a restaurant in the town that I live in, and I went and posted up at the bar one day with my my laptop and my headphones, and I just made that song on the laptop and uh oh wow and i was gonna write to it i tried to write vocals you know lyrics and melodies and everything to it nothing really felt right so it just became an instrumental mm. yeah. it's a nice it, little break yeah. do you find like do you do instrumental stuff first usually and then vocals mm -hmm. or is it okay yeah no it always starts um musically musically okay. musically to like inform the, the feel and the vibe and inspire uh a melody and little snippets of you know a word here or there starts to come out or a phrase you know like a lot of these lines if you read them they're actually just like they're more just like phrases uh -huh. um that and you can tell because over the years i'll think of or a phrase or i'll see a phrase and i'll write it down and then draw from it um yeah it's almost like you're connecting the dots in yeah. some way and that's why doing like this is this is really fun now because the, the record's done it's out um and then, you know, I get to do things like this and, and talk about it and ha and hear people's interpretations and perspectives of, of of what I wrote. And it's really gratifying, really. Well, just just know that if you're listening to this at home, that, you know, my interpretation or Ryan's interpretation might be utterly different from what you get from it as well. And I mm -hmm. think that's what's so beautiful about this. It's not didactic. It's not um, prescriptive. Uh, it is... It, it's merely setting up a, a mood and you get to sort of extract or tweeze out whatever meaning that you, you get from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After that, uh, that instrumental, we move on to surprise, surprise <laughs> starts out with one of those unknown truths. The, uh, the first, uh, the first line is calm weather for an operation. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. But it feels real to me. I don't know why, but I'm thinking of the Navy SEALs. I don't know why. Dude, yeah, totally. That's actually kind of what I was in my head thinking about when I wrote that line was like jumping out of an of, of parachuting out of an airplane, oh, like okay. diving into battle and and you know, you got clear skies to be able to dive into something heavy. Um Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. This song um was one of the first songs I made for this record actually. And um I don't know how to describe it really except to say that it's it's about someone who can't get out of their own way or just kind of seems to be continuing to fall in the same hole over and over again mm. and uh trying to figure that out god isn't that all of us <laughs> yeah mm. like, yeah we, we we repeat the past mistakes over and over and we're able to justify it in all kinds of ways right you got this other line in the song you're wise in your own eyes mm. which is to me it's about hubris in a way Look how smart I am. Yeah. Right? Um, of course, we all think we're the smartest person in the room, mm. unless we have some sort of um, governor on our ego. Mm. Yeah. Then um, otherwise, we just feel as though we are well, we're wise in our own eyes. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. And that's like my 16-year-old self, 25-year-old self. I think I love getting older because like now, like I just realize I don't have anything figured out. 
And in that sense too, it's like helped me forgive my parents because I look at them like, why didn't they do this? Why didn't you do that? I'm like, I'm 40 years old. I don't have it figured out. Like, why would they have it? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm. I just turned 37. My my mom was 20 when I was when I was born. My dad was 22. Mm. And uh, yeah, when you become an adult and you start having kids yourself, and you're like, oh my god, you just you start to identify so much more than you ever could before with yeah. them. And and when you are reflecting on you know your childhood or you know why life went the way it did yeah yeah you have a lot more uh empathy yeah and forgiveness i find that my daughter whenever i answer i don't know like at first i would see this incredible disappointment on her face like (laughs) how could you not know you know everything (laughs) but i've gotten way more comfortable with those three words especially after being a parent because being a parent i'm sure you recognize this it really exposes your own inadequacies your own well, moodiness, yeah. your own temperament, yep. yeah, your own inability to stay calm amid the chaos. Yeah. There's something about parenting that exposes mm. a lot about our humanity. Mm. It's usually marriage first, typically. That's a that's like a you know a mirror, mm-hmm. you know, right? And then kids just like, yeah, it just they pour it on. You just you realize um, all of your shortcomings, <laughs> which is so. It's easy to get crushed by that, but you can also learn and grow from it yeah you you choose to yeah you you can you can see who you actually are as opposed to some sort of image that i'm trying to project onto the world yeah let's move on to numbers this might if uh, you ask me tomorrow i might say this is my favorite song on the album (laughs) you're coming up something else what's your number draw me a circle where's the angle (laughs) this is to me it's about expectations in a way right Mm. hey ryan i want you to draw me a circle Mm mm-hmm and then literally, like, where's the angle, right? Mm-hmm. But what's your angle as well? I mean, I'm ascribing intentions yeah. onto you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's also something about the, um, what's your number? You're coming up something else. Hey, I, I remember this one way that you were, but you're different now. Mm-hmm. And there's something weird. Like Ryan and I have been best friends for 30 years. You know, we've known each other since we were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Um, and of course, we've both changed, and we've both sort of meandered, and and, and yet, um, I think the reason that our relationship has continued to to flourish is because we haven't had these different expectations of each other, and these expectations can can often ruin a relationship. Mm. Yeah, I have no idea what that's what you got out of the song. But, <laughs> no, that's but, pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm running toward trouble. I want to make mistakes. Ah, oh. <laughs> yeah. There's a. <laughs> Uh, there's just something yeah like how how we were talking about it with the with you know talking about nightshades where there's something you know isn't good for you but you're like i'm gonna run towards it anyway because it's gonna give me that ephemeral burst mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm. speaking of nightshades that's the next song on the album it's the the title track nightshade and um the opening line eyes made weightless on repeat <laughs> No idea. I don't want to know what that means. But my God, that feels like the truth. <laughs> I feel like uh, it's <laughs> like someone on ecstasies whose eyes are like, <laughs> <laughs> no. they're, they're just constantly moving. Totally. This song, it's funny. This song, like you listen to it and the chorus is like, the chorus says, I don't want to wake up. This sounds like a really heavy song. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's actually kind of a love song. And, um, I was thinking a lot about my wife and I when we were first dating and kind of that initial spark and the, the passion that you, ha- you find in a new relationship, mm. you know. Um, Weightless is the name of a, 
a song by a band called Washed Out that I love. Um, and that's a song that my wife and I like, you know, every relationship, there's certain songs that mean a lot mm-hmm. to your relationship. Weightless is one of them for us. So that's actually a little nod to uh, Ernest Green, one of my favorite uh, artists, performs as Washed Out. Um, and the chorus is not saying I don't want to wake up in like a weird depressing way. It's like, it's describing like that, like when you're, you're in a new relationship and everything is new and exciting, there's all this passion swirling around and you mm-hmm. just, it's, I'm kind of like painting this picture of this dreamlike state that you don't quite necessarily want to wake up from. Yeah. You know? mm. I wrote down, it's like the matrix. Like, yeah. you, you, you know, there's the, there are people that have discovered the, the truth, but like, I don't want to wake up from this. This is perfect. Like, yeah. although then there does become this clinging as well. Mm. And so like, once you know that, oh, this is a dream, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, how, how do I hold on to this? Mm-hmm. That joy becomes pleasure seeking. Mm. And then all of a sudden it leads to discontent. And so mm. yeah. I'm not saying I get that out of the song, but um, mm. the, I, I, that's what it makes me think of because you're really emphatic on here about I don't want to wake up. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to wake up. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to wake. I don't want to this time. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to. I mean, yeah. it's it's on repeat. Mm. I mean, yeah. And so is weightless apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I, can, I see the weightless eyes too. Like when you're dreaming and you get in that dream state and your eyes are kind of moving around. Yeah. So let me ask you, like g- diving into these emotions, like uh, or these feelings, like when you and your wife first met and having that spark mm-hmm. and trying to like relive that. Do you find yourself? like able to reignite anything that you've kind of lost? I'm just curious. In that moment when I'm writing and yeah. recording? And making, um, yeah, was, we were talking about this earlier. Like um, when I go into my studio, um, I usually have to kind of put on a different cap, you know, than, I, than being a dad or a husband that morning or, and you know, a business manager of my finances for my business. You know, I have to like shut all that off. I have to somehow figure out how to, you know, bend my mind into a pretzel to be to like you know uh, be open to inspiration musically and be creative and create and um it's uh it's hard for me to like come out of that um so easily and so yeah I do find that I have to listen to music maybe that reminds me of that season of my relationship with my Mm -hmm. wife um something that can like emotionally reset me Mm -hmm. to get back to that place and so yeah I'll spend hours and hours or even like you know, big chunks of, of a day in the studio reflecting of, of, of certain seasons and, and kind of like emotionally being vulnerable by myself, which is like a weird experience sometimes. Um, mm. And then I'll come out of the studio and my wife is downstairs with the kids and, you know, they're throwing food and she's stressed and she's got a million other things in her mind. But I'm all of a sudden in this like <laughs> reflective, um, oh. you know, nostalgic state and, uh, we're not always able to connect in that moment and, you know, conflict can happen. It, it, yeah, it's it's funny, though. I do have to, like, it, it does put me in a place of, um, it refreshes my, or reminds me, rather, of our, um, yeah, the beginnings of our relationship. And I find that to be a helpful little exercise, actually. Yeah, it makes me, like, think about, because I'm, like, very much in love with my wife and we have a great relationship, but certainly it's evolved over the last eight years. But I do remember that, like, that stage of, um, yeah, just like the honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember one time, like she was like sitting there, like in my arm, and I'm like cuddling her, and I'm like, I like, and I, I was just so overwhelmed with like joy and happiness. But then my brain was like, 
yeah, dude, this is going to wear off. <laughs> like eventually, like you're going to be like, oh, my arm's asleep. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you, you know, eventually like that joy is going to, you know, kind of fade. And I was just thinking like just going down um, and just maybe journaling like what the beginning of the relationship was like to kind of remind myself of, you know, of that feeling. Yeah, that's yeah. so important to do. I have a whole Spotify playlist that I, it's called Reset and I, will put it on to like try to emotionally reset myself mm. to remember things that are important to me, you know, uh, things that remind me of my wife, things that remind me of my kids. Um, that's so funny that you mentioned that about the cuddling though. Cause like my <laughs> wife, when we first started dating, she would like, she'd fall asleep super early. She just always does. And she would like have, she literally would have her entire like half of her body like on me, like a, <laughs> like, a like a weighted blanket. And in the earliest days of our relationship, you're just like, this is so great. This I don't want to rock the boat. I don't, you know, I'm very uncomfortable right now. Cause like, I'm, I, I kind of want to like shift positions or I'm tired. I want to go to bed, but like, this is just so great. I'll just, I'll just put up with it. This is fine. Right. And then like fast forward 10 years, you've been married forever. And like your wife falls asleep on you and you're just like, all right, I'm going to bed. You can <laughs> shove her off, you know, turn out, you know, totally yeah. kill the moment. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's just part of any relationship, I think. Yeah. And but being aware is. of it. And trying to like find ways to bring yourself back, I think is important. Yeah. I'd like to discuss how minimalism plays a role in your music because I, I, I look at you as sort of a, a minimalist composer, neo minimalism in a way, because I could see that, especially when you do these hushed projects, yeah. there's a, a stripping away. But I imagine that is true also with the music as you're making it. Like you pile some things on. You try things out, it becomes excess, you remove it from the song, you remove an instrument from the song, you add something else, yeah. you build something up so that you can take away and strip it down to its essence. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that a bit? Yeah. Um, when I first started making records, I didn't have any real concept of that. A lot uh, similarly to the way maybe adults, you become an adult, you go out into the world, you start to maybe believe that you need stuff you know i need this this thing and, and maybe over time you naturally realize that more is not always better right you mm -hmm. guys help a lot you help a lot of people realize that which <laughs> yeah. i think is great and similar to music like my producer chad uh, copeland who i've worked on these last three records with he's really helped me a lot with that especially on this most recent record i've become more open to this the stripping away this the decluttering of the recordings um I think my instinct, maybe because of my own insecurities or whatever, I just want to layer and layer and layer and keep piling on. And that's that's been a process, you know. This is my fourth album, and I'm just now really kind of starting to realize the value of of minimalism in, in recording music. Mm. Um, you know, more is not always better. Um, well, you've got a line about that in, in uh, My Poor Heart. You said, I don't need more, just better. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> that's something my wife said to me. <laughs> in what context did she say it outside of the song set that as the song aside what context did she she say it to yeah, that i'm that trying to you? remember what it was it might have been an argument you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think we just uh i think we might have been trying to figure out you know what kind of like where we wanted to live what sort of lifestyle we wanted to have um not necessarily needing to acquire a bigger house uh, more things, mm. um, you know, quality over quantity, that kind of thing. I right. think that's, that's where that came from. I, I wrote it down, you know, and sure enough, it appeared in a song. Yeah. Yes, but, indeed. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's that the whole scaling back and being open to, I was actually just telling a story about my first record, the guy who mixed it, 
with this guy in Nashville. His name is Vance Powell. He's a legend in the industry. And I was this 24-year-old kid who didn't know anything. And I came in with my tracks. And each song had 75 different things <laughs> going on, you know? Yeah. And he would just, like, mute entire sections of of these things that, you know, we, were, we worked hard on. And right. we were excited about. And he'd be like, no, nah, you don't need that. And mm. there was, you know, that hurt a little bit, like you know as a, as a young artist your ego's bruised a little bit you're like well i like you know that guitar part's cool what do you know you know like yeah. um and there was definitely a wrestling there but in the end i look back on my album i'm like he was so right you yeah. know i didn't need all that stuff um so that's just a process i think i've grown a lot but i th- I'm probably have a lot more to a lot more to learn in that area there's a clinging there right it's like um i remember when i first started writing i thought everything that left my pen was like infallible and why would I ever want to delete any of this but of course now it's like to write a book it takes 200,000 words or 300,000 words to get 60,000 words totally and it's it's almost like you're producing as as a musician or as a writer you have to if you're a sculptor you you grab a piece of rock but you also have to make the rock (laughs) from which you chisel the sculpture in a way right yeah my favorite line in the album is right after that. We say there's a U shape. There's a there's a U shape. There's there's a U shaped hole in my heart. Yeah. Um, God. I mean, the the it's just it's beautiful. Um, Thanks, Thank yeah, you. yeah. And, and and there's a particular um, longing, longing, but also an understanding in that. There's mm-hmm. a U shaped hole in my heart. Mm. The final song on the album is called "You're the Sea." Um, and to me, this was this was rather existential it was almost there was like a, a touch of the divine in this 100 percent, yeah i'm glad you caught that the um am i to admit that you're the sea i'm, I'm raging with it's almost like there's uh this breaking down of the duality like we are we are the same even though mm. it feels as though we are different we're mm. one and the same and i'm struggling with admitting that because grasping that yeah anywhere outside of a concept is is really really difficult yeah I, you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about Black Bear being a meaningful record for you guys. That um, that album had a lot of that um, content on there, a lot of that um, existential topics, wrestling with faith, wrestling with God. Um, that very much, very much encompassed that record. This album touched on other things, but this song kind of, I almost feel like that song could fit on the Black Black Bear record because there's still, you know, there's still some of that in my life. And um, yeah. And yeah, so this song, I don't know, I love songs like that, that that a lot that can allow me the freedom to explore that, express that, and be honest and vulnerable. Um, there's a there's a record, there's a band that I love, they're called Brand New, and they, had, they put an album 15 years ago called The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me, and that album is like littered with that kind of stuff, and I'm, I draw so much inspiration from, from that record. Um, and uh, this is, this song and Numbers, those, those two songs sort of um, are kind of like a nod to uh, that band and that record for me mm. yeah i know brand new yeah that's uh yeah what like it's like alternative right yeah, yeah. alternative rock yeah. yeah 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 they're good yeah well i think we got some uh, surprise questions here so we might as well dive into some of those emma what do you got for us how about um i think we already answered andrea's question for the most part let's move into to kate's question here do you specific sorry <laughs> do specific genres of music have a greater effect on the mind I think it depends on who you are, right? I mean, as a musician, I assume that you're influenced by a whole bunch of different genres of music. Mm-hmm. But you probably find yourself going back to some favorites on on repeat. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did mention how I, I, I like to reset with something that's like totally different than what I do, you know, jazz or, you know, just really mellow bluegrass or something. Um, that's kind of my go-to mm. when I need just a change of pace. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly influenced by, I mean, you can hear the influences in my music and the way it's changed over the years. Um, I, when I first started making records, I was, um, I, I owned an acoustic guitar, so that's how I wrote songs on an yeah. acoustic guitar. It's very singer songwriter. Right, yeah, yeah. Very the very first time I heard of you, uh, I think Ryan. I don't know if you were there with me. Hmm. Uh, I saw you open up for someone at Radio Radio in Indianapolis. Oh, you were there? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, um, Tyrone Wells, maybe. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was yep. That was the fall of 2010. Oh wow, uh, 11 years ago. Wow, okay. that's crazy. Yep, yeah. Tyrone. Yeah. yeah um, Still a good buddy of mine. He was a groomsman at my wedding. Um, but yeah, he and I at that time were very similar artists, acoustic mm. guitar guys, you know, um, writing songs that were a little bit more um, straightforward or just structurally pretty, um, um, I don't know, structurally, what's the word? Um, common, you know, just like yeah. verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And and shortly after that tour, I, um, I, I don't know, I, I needed a break. I went, I, I like, shut down things for a while. My buddy and I went to Europe for a while. I did like the cliche Europe trip, you know, where you're like exploring your, <laughs> yourself and the world and uh, came back home and totally, I just started listening to more uh, music that was um, synthesizer driven. Um, I, I wasn't inspired anymore by my acoustic guitar and a piano. Um, mm. I wanted to make songs that were just a little bit more alternative and electronic or um, that's when I met my producer and that's, uh, almost exclusively what he does and um so yeah bands like radiohead and tom york i mean that's uh, every you know uh, so many people are obviously influenced by that band but um and by the way it's different periods of that band as right, well in yeah. rainbows is so different from like their first album yeah, like okay computer or something yeah. yeah yeah um yeah exactly yeah so it's it's you have to pick which era of radiohead you're talking about but sure. um yeah, like Tame Impala, and and I, I talked about Washed Out, and uh, Beach House is a band that I'm obsessed with, and James Blake. Oh my gosh, James Blake uh, might be my my biggest inspiration. He lives wow. here in Los Angeles, and um, yeah, so all that music just started to like inform what I did in the last six or seven years, and still to this day um, continues to to develop that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely different genres create different moods. You said something earlier that was interesting. You're like, I have to not listen to pop music mm -hmm. and just turn on some jazz. Yeah. Because I could see where, I mean, pop music is okay. Like, that's kind of one of my, like, hidden, uh, hidden, uh, I don't know, likes. Like, I really love <laughs> filthy, dirty pop music. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what you mean by pop. I mean, pop just means popular, right? Yeah, and, right. And I would say that Andrew Bell's music is pop music, yeah. but it's also... It's singer song. I, I when people ask me about it, I'm like, it's ethereal singer songwriter music. Sure. And, yeah. yeah, and I, I think they kind of get that. But like, um, I'm like, imagine Coldplay if Coldplay was way better. <laughs> oh, <stop>. oh my <laughs> gosh, yeah, we just had a big long debate about about that yes, the other day. And Coldplay. I like Coldplay. I Coldplay, that they're on a pedestal for me. You know, um, I'm not a huge like. I think what we're talking about is top forty pop radio music. Yeah. That's what we're describing. But yeah. you're right, like. My music is pop music, let's be honest, but it's just, um, it's a little quirkier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know what? Let's go ahead and answer Andrea's question while we're here. How can we find silence amongst the noise of daily life? We touched on this a bit, but 
I wanted to read something real quick. So I was, I remember a few months ago when uh, Andrew and I were, were texting and uh, I asked him if he wanted to be on the podcast when he was out here. And I was thinking, well, what, what are we going to talk about exactly? And then I want to talk something about silence. And I was trying to think of some of these pithy minimal maxims. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I wrote down silence is not the absence of sound. And I'm like, oh, this is good. Let me Google to make sure this isn't some famous quote somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it is. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's an Anthony DeMello quote. Oh, wow. And so I've, I tried to find what book it's in. It's in this book here called One Minute Wisdom. And I, I, I've been reading this for the last few months now. I'll just read huh. a, a couple a day. But here's the one here. This is, uh, this is called Emptiness. It's like almost like a little poem or a little meditation about silence. Sometimes there would be a rush of noisy visitors and the silence of the monastery would be shattered. This would upset the disciples, not the master, who seemed just as content with the noise as with the silence. To his protesting disciples, he said one day, silence is not the absence of sound, but the absence of self. Mm. Now, Andrew, you get into these flow states when you're making music. When things are going really well and you're in your studio and you look up and, oh, my God, I can't believe it's already five o'clock. Yeah. Where'd the time go? It's a a state of no time, a state of no mind. The thoughts aren't, those inside voices dissipate, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that is a particular kind of silence. Now, you're creating and there's music in the background, but there's an absence of self there. And I imagine that when some of your best music is being made, it almost feels as though it's not being made by you, but through you. Mm. That's an, yeah, that's, that's accurate. Um, my dad asked me that too. He's like, how do you, <laughs> my dad's always so curious about how I create. Um, he's, you know, how do you uh, open yourself up to inspiration? Are you just sitting there and, you know, lightning strikes and um, yeah, I think that that's accurate. I mean, it's, it's, it's not so mystical for me. It's, it's, it's um sometimes it can be as 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 much or as easy as just like I don't really feel like creating today, but I know that if I just make myself available to it, maybe it'll you know and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't sometimes I'll sit there for three four hours and it's frustrating, nothing good comes out that i at least I think is good um but just making myself available for for those moments is is where I find that uh the most success will come for me and um that's just a practice that I have to force myself to do, you know, make an appointment with myself, even if I don't feel like it, at least sit there for three, four hours and just, um, yeah, allow inspiration to come upon me. And you, you just know, like it, it's, it's good or not good or enjoyable, not enjoyable, whatever you, however you want to quantify it. It's more of a feeling. It's not a, a label necessarily. Yeah. I don't know how to describe that, but it's like, um, it's a gut instinct Yeah, that maybe when I was first making music, um, I didn't know if I could trust, but, you know, having made a lot of music over the past decade or so, I've started to trust that instinct a little more. There's like a, I don't know, when the right chord is put together or the right melody with a, with a phrase or something, that um, there's a twinge or like a little tingle that I can feel, you know, mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, that, that one works, you know, that, that's gonna, we're gonna build on that, you know, yeah. it's a very literal feeling that I not always feel, but, um, there's almost like a sigh of relief there. I can actually see it on your face even. <laughs> when you're, you're talking about it, it's like, 
oh yeah like this is actually because yeah. there's all those other times where like when you're writing you want to put your head through a wall and like yeah oh this just isn't working oh yeah mm. but then when it does it's the ah oh. yeah it's it's uh it's refreshing because you know like we were talking about inside voices one of the narratives that i will hear in my head sometimes is like you know you're not gonna be able to write any more good songs you've written them all mm. and uh or maybe um i don't really maybe have as much to pull from and um we were talking about this the other day uh, about how um, as people begin to achieve success, it uh, usually and typically not always, but great art usually comes from struggle of some kind, you know, and then you, you start to have success and life gets a little bit more easy and comfortable mm. and it's, it becomes harder to find drama and to pull from. Yeah. Um, hmm. And um, so, yeah, one of the narratives that I'm constantly battling is just like, I'm not going to be able to write any more good songs, you know? Mm. So it is, it's very refreshing when you finally make those breakthroughs. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just go downstairs and like start picking fights with your wife, <laughs> yelling at people on the street. <laughs> I need more drama in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> we got a question here from Michael. After a lifetime of cities and suburbs, my search for a calmer, more serene environment landed me on several rural acres. The sound of true silence was initially overwhelming, and although I thoroughly enjoy music, it felt too incongruent to blast rock or pop tunes in these surroundings. I've started listening to American Indian flutes and drums. Somehow, it is in perfect alignment with desert nature. What correlation do sounds have with their environment? You know, I think sometimes we try to chase peace, and that doesn't lend itself to peace we, we can find chaos in the suburbs or in the rural areas we can find peace it may be more difficult in Times square and so i think music can certainly aid amplify enhance what is already there right mm. but it this is also perspectival we've sort of been talking about this a bit throughout this maximal here and and i mean you could find peace out on a farm, but you might also want to play death metal out on a farm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of up to you what is um, what what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. the The thing that I, I I worry about is I see it all the time. We, in fact, we wrote about Object A in Love People Use Things. Mm -hmm. When people are like, oh, I've lived in my in the city my whole life, I'm going to find the thing I want. I'm going to find that, mm -hmm. as we were talking about last week. Yeah through this i'm going to find that thing that i want the freedom the tranquility the equanimity of, uh, of that i've always been seeking if i just change my circumstance mm -hmm. if i just if i just acquire the farmhouse ryan and i saw this drawing recently as one of those new yorker cartoons and it was a couple on their farm and the husband has his phone and he goes you know honey I think I really just wanted the Instagram part of the farm. Yeah. <laughs> but none of the other activities that that take place on the farm. Totally. Yeah. We romanticize certain things, mm. right? Mm -hmm. You've moved around a bit. Mm -hmm. you, you were out here in Los Angeles for a while. Yep. I think right before we, we moved out here. Mm. You were out in, I think, Pasadena? Yeah, Pasadena. And... Um, now you're back in Chicago. Yeah. I assume that's uh, from having kids and being close to family. Yeah, my daughter was born here and... Um, up in the uh, Pasadena area, and uh, we quickly realized that we didn't really have any 
we'd only been here for less than a year. So family, friends, people we've known our whole lives, we're all back in the Midwest. And, you know, it's a, probably a pretty typical decision that people make mm. uh, after having kids to return to those um, support systems. And we did. We've been back in Chicago now for almost five years. Yeah. But I can totally relate to that cartoon you're talking about. I mean, my wife and I almost regularly talk about, you know, is where we're at now? Is this where we want to be long term? Um, we're always kind of looking over the, the other side of the fence. You know, that's a, especially having kids now, there's other things to factor in schools and, um, you know, um, you know, wanting our kids to grow up with our, our friends, kids and all these other ex- external factors that decide, help you decide where you should, you should live. And, um, that's something I'm, yeah, we're, we're still navigating that. You sure. Know? Yeah. yeah. We live in the suburbs of Chicago not actually the city itself. And sometimes we long for something a little bit more exciting mm-hmm. and a little bit more urban and more culturally diverse and, um, than where we're at now. But, um, I do fear sometimes that we might make a, a, a decision to uproot and move again, maybe more out of, um, nostalgia for what we used to have you know before before children um a more exciting lifestyle than than maybe we have now and um maybe we just kind of want the instagram version of (laughs) but not all the other uh headaches that come along with living in a city versus the suburbs so yeah yeah excitement is so overrated by the way we go chasing it and we get it and then it always dissipates it it, because we need it to dissipate i mean my god we have to go to sleep at some point right and so the the it's funny how we're always looking for this thing that that makes it makes it makes us so excited, whereas there are so many other meaningful things. Like mm-hmm. it sounds to me like yeah, you found a an existence right now that is meaningful for you. But the the thing is, I think quite often we look for that forever thing, not realizing like, okay, I bought this winter coat, mm. it's going to last forever. But if I start keep wearing it in the summer, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sweat all over myself, right? And so it's appropriate for a season. Mm. It sounds to me like Los Angeles was appropriate for a season for you. And I'm sure it was a difficult decision to leave Los Angeles because the weather's perfect. And and, and yet you weigh everything and understanding that, what's the the Thomas Sowell quote podcast, Sean? There are no... uh, solutions only trade-offs i mean that that's always going to be true when you're making this if you go live on a farm you're going to trade all the convenience of living in the city you go live in the suburbs you have slightly more convenience but you don't have the same sort of enthusiasm and 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 life that's in the city right Mm -hmm. and so there are always these little these little trade-offs 100 percent. yeah you just quoted my favorite economist wow (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) yeah that's so true gosh yeah. Uh, well, and and so I'm sure music can play a role in this. And yes, I, I, it seems to me that there, to me, music is the the greatest invention that man has ever made. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I, I'm sure that you know um, antibiotics are probably up there. But if I had to <laughs> pick one, I'm t- I'm taking music. I'm taking music over electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so because you can create something with music in particular that truly enhances other people's life mm-hmm. and and it amplifies whatever the experience is. I mean, there's a reason when people go to raves, there's music playing there. They don't go to a silent rave, mm, right? Yeah. Or even when people do these these plant medicine journeys, yeah. right? There's always some sort of accompanying music. Sure. Now, you could dive into the depths of hell if you start playing death metal at mm-hmm. a plant medicine ceremony, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Probably, yeah. <laughs> they actually do have silent raves, so it's funny you say that. But what it is is you oh, go yeah, there. Oh, yeah, headphones. Yeah, and you have headphones, and everyone's listening 
to the same. But like, if you walked in there without headphones, you'd be like, "What is going on with these people?" Right. <laughs> now, I've seen that. I've seen that with clubs too, where you'll have the, there'll be like three or four DJs playing, and then you get to pick what DJ you want to listen to. So you have people uh, who are dancing at completely different tunes. That's you could crazy. Be line dancing here, and then it's EDM over here, mosh pit over there. Whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's music. Um, you know, it's it's a tangible thing, um, but I think there's. I think the reason that you feel that way about it is because I feel like there's a a spiritual element to it um, that people you know tap into emotionally, spiritually, yeah. and um, for that reason, I think you're probably right. It's probably the most valuable thing we have. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's fascinating about that the spiritual side of it. Um, I remember when when Black Bear came out, like you had been going on some sort of faith journey at the time. You, mm-hmm. Your first album to your second album, and he was the first guy I've ever seen who are like, they become a Christian and their music gets better. <laughs> yes, that's a very true story. It, it's, it's usually like, I mean, no one's talking about Kanye's new albums compared to his old albums. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and they're fine. They're, they're great. But like, it's, it's, it's a, a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating is like somehow, um, well, the difference is like, Andrew Bell was not Christian music. It was a Christian person who was making music. Yeah. Right. Right. And you can find, evidence of the divine and all of that but i think you can also find it in people and in, in secular music as well yeah i felt that way about matt carney's music like he's always been like a big mm-hmm. time christian but it was never like um trying to it wasn't didactic it wasn't trying to beat me over the head with i'm going to impart this knowledge and wisdom into yeah. you yeah yeah i like the idea of making art that i believe in and it, it, Sometimes it might have a, a more obvious message than, than other times, but I just like the idea of I'm a Christian um, who likes to make art, and, and sometimes I, I delve into my faith, and sometimes it's about other things, you know, about relationships or mental health or whatever else, you know. We're, there's a lot, I don't know. We're just, um, I like the idea of not being put into a, a category. You know, yeah. and and because I, I'm a, I've, I'm an independent artist, um, I'm just more flexible to do that. I can kind of just do whatever I want to. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the uh, my audience uh, continuing to appreciate and cons- you know listen to I almost said consume. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, to to appreciate the music I, I create is imperative to me continuing to be able to be an artist. Mm-hmm. But for me, at the end of the day, I, I, the freedom to create what I want to create. Um, without anyone else telling me what I can or can't do is, is that's like the epitome of what I'm striving for. So that's priceless too, yeah. man, because if you feel compelled that now I'm in this box, I have to continue doing, and you see it like with people who have some sort of staggering hit and then all of it after that, I've even seen people where they, they start to hate the hit song Yeah, mm. because now they feel compelled to do 10 more of those for the next record, right? Yeah, yeah. And they don't even feel compelled to do it. It's their record label or whomever, their audience. Yeah. We want more of that. Was there ever a, a time where, I mean, you've had some songs that have really resonated with people and you feel like, oh, I got to do another In My Veins or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, In My Veins is my most popular song um, mm-hmm. by far. Um, no, I think that was, uh, Black Bear was actually kind of like a rejection of that. You know, mm-hmm. In My Veins, it wasn't on my first record. It was actually a B-side from those recording sessions. Oh, wow. That became my most popular song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isn't it funny how that works? Yeah. The thing you don't expect will be, uh, like Ryan's my first documentary, like that yeah. thing took off, but like it was 
we had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. Mm. That was sort of our hit single in a way. <laughs> yeah. And so in in my veins was a song. You're like, ah, I didn't put it on the first album, and then. I I honestly I just wasn't happy with my performance on it. I think it was, um, and so I just thought, you know, this is kind of just a slow, ballady kind of like the borderline depressing song. So I'm not going to put it on this record. And then, um, I started to get a little bit of traction with television, um, TV shows using my music in their in their shows. And and at the time, you know, this was 2010. Grey's Anatomy was like. Mm-hmm. A, such a tastemaker um mm. for, and, and known for like breaking artists literally overnight and one thing that they were doing back then was or maybe they still do uh their finale episodes are always made up of unreleased music so it was always really special to watch these episodes because you'd hear artists that you knew but songs you hadn't heard yet and um they asked me if i had a song that had never been released i had one you know i had the one song that we didn't put on the album and i gave it to them and they put it in their finale episode mm. and it was synced in this scene that was just really impactful and um, apparently meant a lot to a lot of people who love that show. And it's become this thing. Um, and, and thankfully, I mean, I, it, it's literally in a lot of ways given me a career. Um, so for that reason, I'm always eternally thankful for that song and everybody who loves it. And um, But when I set out to make my next record, I, I didn't want to do that, what you're describing of being pressured to make the same thing over again so when i made i very deliberately made something that sounded exact so far uh the other side of the spectrum uh sonically and and even the way that i approached songwriting was different than my first record and my manager at the time was stressed he was like oh my god i in fact i found out later that he was emailing my producer uh, sort of without me knowing being like can you find a way to kind of dial this back and tie it in you oh, know to wow. sonically to what he did on his first record and i mean I appreciate that he was trying to do it. He was just nervous. He was nervous for me to, to pull a 180 like that and, and go in a different direction musically. Not many people pull that off, but you pulled it off so beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. I, I guess I, I mean, I really believed in the songs and, I, and Chad did such a nice job. Ch- uh, Chad Copeland in, in Oklahoma is my producer. And then there's a guy here in LA named James McAllister who I've worked with then and, and still work with. Those two guys um, really helped me pull that off. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think I just kind of got I, I got lucky. <laughs> Bravo to them for uh, for seeing the vision with you because yeah. that's something that's really difficult to see, especially on the back of of some big hit. Oh, all, all of a sudden now, shouldn't we just do this again? Right. Because now we've got some buzz and and you know there's a lot of pressure for me and Ryan to make minimalism part two, sure <laughs> or whatever, yeah, right? And it's like I don't, but I don't want to do that, yeah. right? Mm. Um, it's not that it's wrong to do that. And by the way, there are some artists who make the same album over and over and over, and it's awesome. Mm. Uh, it's just like you you could just call it, hey, part two, part three, part four. Right? It's interesting because like Nickelback, right? Like now <laughs> they're like a, it's a joke how yeah. all their songs sound the same, hmm. but they sound the same for a reason, and they're actually really good artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, yeah, you keep repeating the same thing over and over again. Josh, if we really wanted YouTube views, we would just do home tours. Yeah. That's like where all the views are. Every time we do a home tour, it's like million plus views yeah, every crazy. time. Yeah. yeah. It's nuts. Because we're all sort of voyeurs in a mm-hmm. way, right? And so I get it. I, I understand the, the desire to get, because we equate success and you've been able to transcend this in a way. We, we often create, we, we equate success with, Metrics, whatever it is, a platinum album, a hit single. Yeah. Uh, we're being recognized by a TV show. Some sort of outlet has us on, whatever it is. Yeah. And those things are fine, but when they become the point, 
then the thing you created is no longer the point. Mm-hmm. The point becomes status and achievement, mm-hmm. trophies, essentially. Yeah. Or even just maintaining what you, you know, what you built. There's like a pressure all of a sudden to keep what you, what you didn't expect you were going to get in the first place. Now you got to keep, you got to hang on to it for like, you know, yeah. your life. Yeah. And it's making you miserable. Yeah. The clinging will always lead to misery because we get that thing. You were talking about this earlier when you, you know, you're, you're cuddling with your wife on the couch and all of a sudden it's like there's some thought that pops into my, my head and, oh, I want this to, to keep going. And that joyous experience turns into pleasure seeking. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it does, we try to hold on to it. We try to get more of it. Yeah. And that acquiring more always ruins the experience of the moment. Mm. You know, let's wrap up with a question here from Janice. This is a leftover question from last week. We did a podcast episode with Erwin Raphael McManus. I don't know if you know him. I'm not. He oh, had a, a new book come out called The, the Genius of Jesus. And uh, we were talking about how beauty is essential. And I thought this is a great way to, um, to, end, this, to end this episode. Um, Janice asked, how do you, how do you find and separate the beautiful from the overwhelming piles of clutter? When there's so much, it seems nearly impossible to discover the nuggets of beauty within the mountains of mundane stuff. To me, this was a metaphor for your music in a way. I'm sure there's a lot that hits the cutting room floor, not in the sense that you have 15 other songs or whatever, but you tried as you, you write down lines throughout the years, mm-hmm. there's so many lines you've written down that didn't make this album, I'm sure, yeah. right? But they're there. And it's finding the lines that work quite often, you're able to easily push aside some of the, the things that don't work. So we can talk about how this applies to one's house, Janice. You know, find, find and separate the beautiful from the overwhelming. Well, to me, minimalism is what creates the beautiful quite often. The bones of the thing are the beauty. The essence is the beauty. And I think if your music does anything, Andrew, it captures a, an essence, mm. uh, a feeling, uh, a, a particular truth that is almost unnameable, and therefore you have to have the music there. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that a bit? Yeah, gosh. That's... Um not sure. I'm not sure what to say to that, really, honestly. Um, yeah, I'm just so flattered that you guys obviously listen so intently to the music <laughs> and uh, and find so much value and richness in it. I think sometimes I get so bogged down in my own head uh, making these things, worrying about them, stressing out, and getting anxious about it. It's cool to be able to come on a show like this and reflect on it, you know? Um yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I have a lot to contribute to that. <laughs> well, you know, a, you talked about with the producer um, that you were working with. I forget his name, but you know, he would yeah, start Chad. Chad. He would start muting all that stuff. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself like still in the process, uh, like of this latest album, like where you have so much going on, and you're like, you know what? I just need to like get rid of everything, but this one little instrumental piece, and mm-hmm. then build back off of that. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. like um, Spectrum. You, you talked about that song, for example. That's a song that actually um, went through three or four different rewrites, three or four different... Um, I tried producing it out here in Los Angeles at one point with a different producer, um, and it took a long time to figure out how to bring it to life, or at least to accomplish or achieve what I was hearing in my head. Mm. Um, but there was one... It was the melody. It was the melody of the chorus 
um, that I was really passionate about the lyrics as well, obviously, but it was, I, I ended up completely scrapping all, we pulled all everything out, all the music, all the drums, everything. Um, in fact, I should share with you the demo for that sometime. I think it would, you'd be like, it's a totally different song. <laughs> um, but basically there was that one through line, like you're describing, there was the vocal melody that, that I loved and felt passionate about. So then I rewrote and all the music, put everything back together, uh, for, you know, I tried that three or four times and finally the fourth time it, it clicked and it worked and, um, the melody, even though it had not changed, um, it now was sitting on top of different chords and different music and, mm. um, yeah, it just took an exercise of, of being willing to, uh, yeah, struggle through that process of, I really love this, but it's just not working and you strip it all away and then you, mm. you, know, you revisit and you, um, yeah, so that's a very literal um, example of what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I like, I mean, I think you can do this with a room, right? Like if you walk into a room and it feels cluttered, but you know you like it, it's like, all right, well, what do I like about this room? Maybe it's just the couch. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, take everything out, start with the couch and build around that yeah, couch, right. you know? Exactly. I mean, it's it's funny because I have a couch that uh, that's, I use this as a literal uh, example because um, it's like this old, like redone mid, mid-century modern Dutch, uh, beautiful couch although I have to put covers on it like, you know, like 65 year olds because my cat claws the heck <laughs> out of it. It's just got that material that he loves to claw. But sure. anyway, um, but but that's what I built that room around. It was this couch and like no one else. Would, there's only one person who walked in. They're like, dude, that is a beautiful couch. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. But like no one else would know. But I know for myself, it's like that's what that room is built around. It's yeah. built around that specific couch. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes you have to figure out also what you don't like before you can figure out what you do like. Sure. So if you want to, if, if you're looking at a room, you're like, this is chaos. I've got all this mundane. I can't find the beauty here. Well, what do you know you dislike? Mm. If you're making a song and there's too much cowbell in it, <laughs> then uh, all of a sudden, you know, like, oh, let's, we can get rid of that. I know I don't like this. <laughs> right? Are we going to end the Patreon episode with uh, more cowbell? <laughs> <laughs> it's the inside joke. I get that I look like Christopher Walken. It's okay. Um <clears throat> Um, in fact, there was this thing I, I posted on Instagram. Apparently, he got busted by TMZ recently. He was uh, he was at an airport, and TSA was patting down Christopher Walken. So no. how hilarious! Is it? So someone took a picture oh of him. My God. Now I posted. I, I just I, I zoomed in, posted it to my Instagram stories, and um, I said TSA always gives me a hard time. Mm. And everyone got the joke, except about five percent of the people responded, and they were just like, "Oh my God, why'd they stop you?" <laughs> Oh, wow. That's really funny. I'm like, dude, he's 78 years old or something. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. You didn't look that closely, I the guess. The look on his face is like, see, oh, yeah. The look so on his face is like, hey, I'm Christopher Walken. Right. What are you doing? Like, really? They're yeah. searching him like this. Like, right. uh, yeah, it's, uh, but anyway, back to the, the, the room, getting down to the essence, quite often, I think, yeah, sometimes you have to start over. You might have to remove everything from the room. Ryan did this when he did his packing party. Yeah. He literally boxed up everything, pretended he was moving because he didn't know what was important. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what's important, if you don't know what's beautiful, if you don't know what's essential, what do you do? You get rid of all of it and slowly reintroduce the things that add value. That mm-hmm. could be music. Yeah. It could be your living room. It could be your car. It could be anywhere in life. It's it's a exercise in letting go through the slow addition of that which does add value to our lives. Mm. Man, I think that's a perfect place to end it. Andrew Bell, I want to acknowledge you. You've got a new album out. It's called Nightshade. 
I want to encourage everyone to check it out. Heck yeah. Thank you, guys. I think with the minimal episode, we'll play out with Inside Voices. But let's mm-hmm. pick a song to play out this episode with. Mm. Since you're here, why don't you pick a song? Oh, man. <laughs> um, well, I, I mentioned before, Inside Voices is my favorite. Uh, maybe my second favorite is Numbers. Uh, oh, so wow. Let's, 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 let's do that. Uh, numbers. Let's do that. Cool. Yeah. Here's Numbers from Andrew Bell. <laughs> 